guys. Welcome to another episode of What the Tech Am I Doing? Today, we interviewed Mark Sturgeon, a fellow RPI alum and athlete, and he gave his advice how to make the most out of your college experience coming from a guy who graduated in four years with his master's and bachelor's, as well as balancing personal life and captain of the lacrosse team. We then went on to give advice on career. He's had a great early start in the industry, and he gave advice on being your authentic self, honesty, and how to make the most in an interview and land the job. We also discussed work-life balance, especially being a young professional. This is a great one for people who are in college or still navigating their career path. I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to What the Tech Am I Doing? On today's episode, we have Mark Sergeant with us. And so he went to the same college as me. He graduated in four years, somehow managed to get his bachelor's and master's degree in that amount of time, and now works in the medical device industry. So I wanted to have him on the show because I think he has a lot of good advice that he can give everyone. So Mark, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks, Tally. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, should I just start with my current position maybe, and we'll go backwards from there? Yeah, perfect. So, sure. So currently I'm a my marketing manager at a medical device company called BD, which stands for Beckton Dickinson. I live in New Jersey. Um, and at this point, like Callie mentioned, uh, I'm three and a half years out of college. So um, I've been to a couple companies at this point, a couple different roles that I assume we'll get into. Uh, it's been an interesting and unique path as, uh, as I know, as, you know, a lot of people tend to find their unique little paths. So I'm happy to, happy to share mine and, and uh, give you the, the lowdown. Awesome. So what were your majors in college? To sure, so like- I have a, my undergrad degree is in business and then I have a master's in quantitative finance and risk analytics, which is long, but basically just say, say finance and math. In a how did you decide on those? And then how did you decide you wanted to go to into med device? Yeah, sure. So yeah, growing up, uh, math and science were always my favorite subjects. Um, yeah, I, on like the yearbook picture things, I always wrote that I wanted to be a scientist or chemist, like mad, mad scientist, you know, something of that, that nature. And then as I got into the high school, I, I took a liking towards math a little bit more. And so the finance route sort of introduced itself to me via, you know, like stock market games and those kinds of activities in high school. So I ended up decided to go that route. Uh, and I went to RPI because they had a, a sound business school, but also many of the people there were engineers. So if I ever decided that I wanted to go back into the science side of things, or at least just be able to have that influence uh, on my on my academic career, if you will, I would. So that's why I chose RPI. And then I ended up sticking it out in the in the business school, despite, you know, lots of heckling from my engineer friends, uh, you know, all that, all those kinds of things. And uh, you know, like you mentioned, I, I was, I did basically finish a four-year program in three years uh, just because some of the classes I had taken in high school, really fortunate. My high school offered a couple uh, like community college classes within the walls of my high school. So like French accounting, some of those classes I was able to take and knock out the credits for early. And then I didn't want to cut the best three, you know, the best four years of my life short. So I stayed and RPI has this co-term program where basically the idea is you get your undergrad in four years, stay a fifth year. And during that fifth year, you're technically still an undergrad because you haven't graduated yet. So you can keep any, you know, it's the same price. You can keep any merit scholarship, any aid, like those kinds of things extends for your fifth year. And then you can, uh, at the end of that fifth year, graduate and get handed both degrees at the same time. And so that's what I did with business and then qualifies. 
It's impressive. Yeah. Do you have any, cause I mean, I was able to cut it a semester short and I thought that was a lot. You did that. You were captain of lacrosse. You manage all these other things. Do you have any recommendations for people who are trying to get ahead? Um, while still, I mean, you did have a good balance, like athletic school career, um, but then also personal life. Like, it's not like you were just sitting home all the day studying. I guess sitting, sitting home all day studying is certainly not my thing. But I think the way that it happened to all work out for me was because I plan early. And mm-hmm. my, you know, during your freshman year, you get, or at least I got this sheet that basically laid out your next four years and all your classes. And even most uh, standard curriculums, like senior spring is called like a a phrase that people say because you typically only have one or two classes. So I'm looking at that. And then I looked at some of the credits that I brought in and I'm like, it doesn't really make sense to do a fourth year here. Could I, you know, and then it just became an optimization problem, right? Like which classes do I have to take before this one? This one's only offered in the spring. I want to have this professor. So then I kind of just worked backwards and brought that plan to my financial advisor. And, uh, and luckily early on in my freshman year, I basically said, this is what I want to do. And this is what I, how I want to get there. And then, um, and then we made a decision for the master's program a couple years in, because that you can kind of choose on the fly. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I did. Yeah. I don't think I ended up choosing until probably my third year is when I realized I was ahead and again, was like, might as well get more out of it. Um, yeah. but I like your strategy and approach better. I think that's a good way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, start start early. And again, I'm not really the kind of person who like, I don't set these super specific goals for myself, even my career. Like I talk to some people and it's just different style. Like they'll say, mm-hmm. I want to be VP by 35. And I wasn't going into college saying I want to graduate in <laughs> years and then graduate in four with a master's. I just kind of looked at it and thought, you know, this is something that, that, that could make sense. And of course, I, you know, want to be high achieving and, and do all those kinds of things. But um, starting early was, was the thing that kind of helped me um, get there. Nice. So then after that, you had a job pretty much right out of college. I think you knew before you were graduating. And then tell us a little bit about your career path, because I think it's awesome how far you've come in such a short amount of time. Yeah, well, thanks. So, yeah, so like I said, I, I was interested in math, and then I wanted to go finance, the finance route. And the I had a, a couple of job offers that I was choosing between when I was leaving RPI after my fourth year. Um, one of them was basically in banking in New York City, so like your classic finance job. And then the other one that I had kind of worked into there was a job within finance, but in industry. So within the medical device industry for a company called Strikers. So I live in New Jersey. That's where I'm from. And Strikers located in New Jersey. So it seemed like a good fit. And the influence for me there really was having been exposed. Like all my friends were engineers at RPI. And their jobs, like when they were leaving what they were leaving college to go to was like design transmissions for an automotive company working for defense manufacturers like in the oil industry. You know, they're, they're doing all these things that are so interesting. And to me, it felt, I came up empty, right? Like wearing the suit every day to go to a bank and, and not really have a product or anything behind it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but for mm-hmm. me, I was looking for something different. And so I ended up taking the striker offer. It was a lot less money, but the reason I went there is because that's where I saw the opportunity. I think, like I said, I don't really have a goal of where I wanted to be in five or 10 years, but I wanted to get closer to working with cool products. And that was kind of my North Star. And so the division that I work for, Striker, specifically develops uh, implants for implants and robotics for knee and hip replacement. 
So learned a little bit about the anatomy, you know, the different compositions of products like that was something that was intriguing to me. And so, I mean, even in my interview with, with, um, with Stryker, if I'm like standing in front of the director of finance and he's like, where do you see yourself? And I'm like, I want to go to market. I want to be closer to the products. And I'm uh, thinking back, I'm like, God, this person really took a chance on me, right? Because um, here I am telling them that I'm interviewing for a job in finance. This is what my background is. It's not what I want to do. And so I, I think the lesson learned there is just is, you know, I was, I was lucky that this person took a chance on me and Stryker is a place of wanting to cultivate talent and, you know, they're okay with you having different, mm-hmm. but I guess being honest was re- really saved me there. Cause if I wasn't, I'm sure it would have came out sooner, sooner or later. And I don't know if I'd be, I don't know if I'd be where I am, where I am right now. That's fair. And I mean, even then they respect you. They, most people aren't going to stay in the same job forever. So they know that. So if you're honest with them and then they can be like, Hey, I know he wants to go into marketing. Let me kind of help him in that career path. I feel like a lot of people tried to mentor in that sense in the real life. Exactly. Interviewers, what I found interviewers are very good at sniffing stuff like that out early. <laughs> so unless, you know, whatever your ulterior motive is, I, 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 my personal belief is the best, the best policy is honesty and basically uh, be very upfront during your interviews and it'll only serve you well. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any other advice for interviews? Because you did have a few job opportunities coming out of college. I know that's a big thing with people right now, especially young professionals trying to figure out how to get the jobs, where to go, especially during the COVID time. Um, And I interviewed for Stryker at one time. I think they have the hardest interview process that I've been through. And now um, even in your new position, so you just recently had an interview. So what are some tips and tricks you have for some young professionals. Sure. Yeah, well, first of all, man has the interview process. <laughs> I interviewed for a job uh, two months ago now. So basically through the month of August in 2020, which is a year and a half to begin with. And so it was entirely virtual. So I was meeting with people <laughs> basically all around the world for this job, um, trying to make an impact, trying to get them to like me and understand my experience <laughs> virtually. But I think, I think really what you know, what will, what I found set me apart and will set anybody apart virtually is the same in person, right? It's silly things like mm-hmm. sure that your background is clear, right? <laughs> uh, in the virtual setting or, or eye contact with the camera or something mm-hmm. close to the camera. And those kinds of, those kind of connection things are, are the, are the things that um, interviewers look for. So I guess um, to give, to give advice, uh, I, I'm in general, I'm a person who doesn't respond well to abstract advice so maybe i'll just talk about my experience and then folks can pick and choose their favorite thing from there so kind of just going back to the one thing i mentioned authenticity is key um, mm-hmm. if you know a lot of times interviewers will purposely ask silly questions like one of the ones i got asked was have you ever been on a plane and noticed that one side of the mountain is greener than the other and in my head like most people, the first thing you think is, oh my God, have I not been paying attention? Like, is there some principle that I should be aware of? And, and I, without even really processing, I just thought, to be honest with you, I haven't really noticed that. You know, I, I, you know, I, just, I was just honest. You know, that wasn't really something that I've ever taken notice of. And I, I think those questions are meant to just trip you up. And anytime you find yourself coming back to just being honest and authentic, um, that will guide your response to those questions. So, mm-hmm. so if for me, I think, you know, really just being honest uh, about your experience, because some of the questions like that are meant to kind of throw you off. And then likewise, you know, um, I'm not a person generally who writes down scripts for things, like maybe I'll write down some bullet points. But uh, when I'm talking about my own experience, it's really just in my own words, 
Um, you know, I, I think interviewers are much more likely to um, like forego a pause for you to collect your thoughts and then say something rather than if you're trying to memorize a script or fumbling through your notes, you know, the more authentic you are, the, I think the more likely an, an interviewer is, is going to identify that and appreciate where you're coming from. So I guess that would be my two cents. No, I completely agree. At my interview at Edwards, I had, they asked questions and on one of them, it was just, I was like, that is a good question. I, cause we do a lot of behavioral and I just paused for a bit and she was so sweet. She's like, we'll get back to it. And then never came back to it. And I was so lucky. Um, but I think it was, if you're, I could sit there and make up some story about whatever the question is, but if you're just honest and I feel like they sympathize and understand everyone knows how it is to be in those shoes. And in the end, they're trying to look for honesty and a smart person. So benefits in the end. And as I understand it, the, what you were referencing with Stryker is the Gallup survey. That's, it's widely yeah. known. Everybody at Stryker has to go through that. And I think just from my time there, and it's not a secret, if you look this stuff online, you find just the number one thing that that tests is that you're consistent. So if you're saying that you're a person who has experience, you know, in a certain area, that question is just basically, you know, that, that those questions are designed to get you talking to make sure that you're coming from the right place and that your experiences are valid because they'll try and piece back together like your, your questions from certain answers your answers from certain questions and kind of see are you going back on your word is something inconsistent mm. that could cause them not to trust you so i think that's really what those what those um, you know those questionnaires or those interview types of things are looking for yeah that's a great point um so you recently did the switch from striker to bd what motivated you to, this, to do the switch and how did you know it was the right time? Because that's another big thing. The first few years of someone's career, they're like, do I stay? Um, or how do you know when it's time to leave? Yeah, so uh, in med device, I think um, there's a couple of phrases that stick, stick around through different companies. And I think it's commonplace that everybody is under the, you know, operates under the premise that you should at least try and work for a couple different companies if you can. Of course, especially at Stryker, I mean, there are a ton of people who have been there for a really long time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are a lot of people who say, you know, young people, it might make sense for you to jump around, get a couple different experiences, etc. So going to another med device company was kind of always in the back of my head. And the other thing too, I'm extremely fortunate in New Jersey where I live, there's Stryker, there's BD, there's tons of pharma companies, you know, in the life science area where I am as a hotspot. So I kind of got lucky to enter a company like Stryker and want to stay in this industry because it's so local to me. So just to be totally mm-hmm. frank with you, mm-hmm. the fact that it was convenient for me and I didn't have to relocate <laughs> wife and family um, was, was, was a factor as well. And then, and then just the opportunity. So uh, it was an increased responsibility from what I was doing at Stryker. And I think what I found is a lot of times some, uh, Companies will purposely hire externally because they want a different perspective, you know, someone who has some different experiences on their team. And I think that that's what this new job w- was looking for to an extent. Um, and so for those reasons, it seemed like the right fit to give a shot. Um, about timing, I mean, unfortunately, in my experience, maybe other people are luckier than me. Timing is just something that you can't control. Right? So this job that I eventually was offered um, at the end of August was posted the previous December. So I didn't apply to it. Um, I was happy in my, I mean, I was happy in my role at the time. Uh, Come March, right, COVID had just hit. I was kind of thinking about the future of my family, you know, what the best option for me. I was traveling traveling a ton for my current position. And of course, that came to a screeching halt. 
in March, but in the future, we're, I guess, a little bit more hopeful that it would pick up. Um, but this opportunity came up and I thought, you know, might as well throw a resume at it. And so, of course, you know, I, I went back and redid my resume. Um, I looked at the job description and it really sounded like a lot of those, a lot of the corporate items on that description were things that I was actually doing. So I, I felt like it was the right fit. I, I did apply to a couple different jobs at PD just to kind of diversify and maybe if one didn't work, I had the other one on the back burner, et cetera. Um, and so that application went through in March and I heard nothing until July. So I, <laughs> and just the way it goes, maybe I applied, you know, at the end of one of their cycles and they had been going through candidates and I just got lucky. They ended up not selecting anybody. And then, yeah, I mean, randomly four months later, it was the weekend, or the week after 4th of July weekend, I got a call from someone and I, I had already dismissed it. So I wasn't like prepared to speak with this person or anything like that. But uh, they called and then I went through their process, which was like I mentioned, entirely virtual. So it was different. And then, and then it happened to work out. So I was in my role at Stryker for a year and a half. And then I left to BD. So nice. um, the moral of the story there is that timing is never perfect. So if you think that at some point in the future, um, my opinion is it never hurts to look, right? If I'm shopping for a car, I mean, I don't need a car right now, but I always look because you just want to see. So, I mean, especially like LinkedIn and, and Indeed and some of the other job posting websites are so advanced with the algorithms. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is type in it once in LinkedIn and they'll be, you know, serving, you know, emails to your inbox to say, hey, check out this job or check out this salary on Glassdoor or those kinds of things to get the ball rolling and, and just look. So, no, that's good. Cause I feel like even now I, I've joined my company almost two years now. Um, once we hit 2021 and we join in a class and so you can tell everyone's starting to be like, do I stay? What opportunities am I having? Um, one of the advices I got was less about position and where you're going, where you should be kind of what you were saying, just what feels right, what opportunities and experience do you want? And then can you get that in your current role? What other roles are there? If you want to expand to do them, like have you gotten the most out of your role and can you learn more by going to a new one? So yeah, yeah I like that. I'm similar to you. I just operate on like gut feeling, you know, so, <laughs> there's so many uh, like, uh, like sayings in the industry, right? I've heard some people say, if you spend a year in a job, it's too short. If you spend two years in a job, it's too long. You know, <laughs> you know like there's so many abstract, like things like that, that people will say. And I, for me, I, I said this before, I don't respond well to those kinds of abstract things because it just, it's hard to apply to me. Right. Yeah. I, actually, it's funny that I say that out loud now, because now I'm realizing I've been in both roles for about a year. Now. <laughs> it's <laughs> a sweet spot. Maybe I should reconsider. But uh, for me, yeah, I went by what, by what felt right. And when I was looking at this job, like I said, I applied to a couple with BD, but this one in particular that I ended up getting, I just kept thinking, like, I wouldn't even have to prepare for this interview because what they're looking for, it mm-hmm. just, just happens to closely be aligned with what I do. I remember uh, like a couple nights leading up to my first interview with the, you know, I had, I had already spoken with HR and a couple of the folks and then starting to speak to the hiring manager. My wife was like, aren't you nervous? Like if it were me, I gotta be writing down all these experiences and going through these sample questions and I was kind of like, well, if this description actually matches what they're looking for, then I won't have to write anything down because it really is something that's very close to what I do, which was marketing and applying strategies to certain regions of the country and different ways to do that. And so I basically thought to myself, if I can't talk about that with an interviewer, maybe I just don't deserve the job. 
Um, and so I didn't want to overdo it with the prep. I wanted to come off authentic and that's how it ended up working out for me. I love that. Well, especially if you, you know, I've seen people that definitely put stretches on their resume. Um, but if your resume is authentic, you genuinely knew what you were doing in your previous role, you come and they ask you questions and you're like, okay, this is how I did it. This is how I did this. And that's all they're trying to do is get to know you better. Exactly. I think the irony of that situation is sometimes some of these corporations, I mean, so I, I've been in large companies my entire career, my entire mm -hmm. three and a half year career, right? With, <laughs> um, right? Like revenue of $10 million plus. So big companies. And the way that they write job descriptions, I think I could write them for some of them because it's like, it's, it's a lot of buzzwords, looking for problem solvers, cross-functional collaboration, and those kinds of things. And I remember going back and looking at the job description at the marketing job that I had gotten at Stryker. So I was in a finance job for a year and a half, and then I was in marketing with Stryker for a year and a half. But looking back at that description, I'm like, that doesn't even describe what I did for a year and a half. So like all this this language is constructed and written into this description. And to me, it didn't resonate at all with what I did. So half of me was hoping that BD did, did it right. So that I would actually, <laughs> but I think that's something that has to be taken with the grain of salt. Like a lot of times, you know, maybe they just include certain language so that they're attracting right, a wider pool of candidates or looking mm -hmm. for certain experience that might not really be as important if it's listed a little bit further down. So I think you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt too. I'm not saying that you should, do a similar thing to your resume because like I said, being authentic is key. It'll, it'll mm -hmm. eventually come out, but uh, just, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind that, you know, that's how they construct those things. Even if you go, just like look on LinkedIn, like the, you know, some of the things that they look for are, are all the same, right? Like problem solver, cross-functional development, like oh. you know, effective project management, those kinds of things are just uh, commonplace. <laughs> Good thing for people to keep in mind. I, um, I guess we'll go on to the next one. So, you mentioned at Stryker, you traveled a lot. How was that, especially trying to start your family? You got married, I guess, about a year ago and balancing work versus life on a constantly traveling schedule. Yeah, so when I had got that marketing job at Stryker, I had an idea roughly of how much travel it was going to be. And at that point, I wasn't married. So we weren't living together just yet. And so we basically had a conversation. We don't know what it's going to be, right? The job posting said 50%. But I talked to some people who are in that job currently and they were gone four or five days a week. Others were gone one or two. So you, you never really know mm -hmm. with those kinds of things. So I guess I basically prepped for the worst and intended to be on the road a lot, which in my first year, I really wasn't. But towards the end um, of my time with Stryker, especially leading up to COVID, I was on the road a ton. And so mm -hmm. I guess for me, it was really just a conversation with my wife to make sure she was cool with me not being around <laughs> as much. And it's, um, you know, pros and cons, right? Like for me, being able to travel, so I had, I had a territory, which was basically from Ohio to Colorado and North. So I, you know, from a professional standpoint, I get to see some really interesting markets, like big cities, um, the state of Iowa, right? Like... <laughs> I never would have been to Iowa or Nebraska, some of these other places to understand what they're, you know, what it's like out there. So, mm -hmm. so that was certainly beneficial. And, and, you know, for those reasons, it seemed to make sense for me. Uh, you know, it wasn't always easy, right? Like a lot of times I would elect to fly home, spend a night or two at home rather than taking a, a flight and, you know, working remotely somewhere else. So I, did, I did those things as best as I could to try and spend some time at home and make sure I wasn't gone uh, for too long. But uh, for me, it was just about like, how, how to strip that balance. Because also at this point in my career, I was 
24 years old and there's not a ton of you know, people <laughs> at that level who are like, you know, I want to get home to my wife. <laughs> to be honest with you, a lot of the people that I worked with are single. They would extend their weekends. They would, you know, go, uh, you know, go snowboarding or skiing or they go to the beach depending mm-hmm. on where they're traveling to. And I was never in, really in a spot where I had, I wanted to extend the weekend. So I guess not to sound like a, you know, to keep going back to the same thing, but I was very honest with the hiring manager during the interview process. I said, well, I don't know how well this is going to work for me right now. I don't really travel much. I'm in the process of getting married. At that point, you know, I'll be living together, you know, all those considerations. And I think, um, again, just being honest about where I was and the hiring manager was great at letting me know that I'll hold my schedule at some point. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I can do to, um, to get around, right? Even if that includes taking an extra flight home to spend a night or two there, uh, that would be possible. So, so yeah. That's awesome. I... For a bit, which, well, my job is 25% travel on paper. And then towards the end before COVID, it was up to probably 50%. I was gone two weeks out of the month and we typically travel to the Caribbean. So it was Dominican, well, not a bad place to travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, made some good friends with the engineers over there. But in the beginning, I'd extend my weekends and I'd make pit stops. And New York was typically the layover that we'd have so I'm like oh I'll see my friends from college or explore and by the end of it I was like get me home like I just miss being home and you know life continues and so everyone was getting to know each other here and I felt like I was missing out but then now on the other hand I'm like I kind of miss traveling a little bit uh you have a long trip across multiple time zones right so even just to New York and then all the way down what was it like 12 hours at least right it was it'd be a full day going and basically a full day coming back would be nice with the time change but it would just be exhausting and the days were long there and it was funny because people be like oh that's so cool you do that um do you get to do this do you love it and I was like in the beginning I was like send me everywhere I love this and then by the end I'd be like okay we're only going if we need to go Uh, but now with COVID it's interesting because a lot of our engineers have had to do stuff that I would typically travel to go help with at the plants and now I'm wondering even in the future, I think travel will be a lot less because we're buying these virtual cameras and glasses and um, they're having to step up into roles, which is awesome for them. I'm glad we have those good engineers down there. That is just now I'm supporting them versus from a distance. So interested to see how that changes. But yeah, I was the same with travel where it's like, okay, maybe it's fun in the beginning. And then you're like, I think I need to slow down a bit. <laughs> yeah, and what I found is luckily my wife was on board with it. And so, you know, we would FaceTime or talk often and I wasn't too many time zones away. So the furthest I would go would be Colorado and it was only two times away. So it really wasn't bad. Oh, that's nice. But what suffered for me was my client because <laughs> you know, when, you're in a, when you're in a rush, right? If it's an early morning, McDonald's or air, airport food is the mm-hmm. most convenient thing. So but I, what I found is like, you know, I'd be home on the weekends wanting to relax and I'm like, man, I got to get up and go for a run or I got to exercise or otherwise uh, at this rate, like it's not, I'm not going to be healthy anymore. And then, you know, then, then who's to say, you know, what will happen? So it's, uh, it's just funny. The things that, the things that come out of it. Oh yeah. Especially when it's on the company, it's dinner is no longer food, at least for my experiences, it was networking and so you're taking people out you're making those and then when you do that you're 
you're eating these big meals. And I was like, yeah. I would come and you don't have, I wouldn't have as much time to work out. I would try. Um, but yeah, you come back and you're like, I ate way too much. Didn't work out nearly enough. And now I'm tired and want to relax. Yeah. And in, and for me, it was something in marketing, we'd be meeting with customers. So we'd be going out to these steakhouses and having <laughs> like steak dinners. And, you know, sometimes if we'd go to like an industry meeting, it'd be two or three or sometimes four nights and four nights in a row of that is I mean, I'm going to stay for one night sometimes and I'm maxed out. Yeah. So kind of balance, you know, mix in the salmon, the chicken and <laughs> all those things to, uh, to make sure when I come home, I can uh, return to some kind of normal diet. <laughs> Is there any, would you try and squeeze in workouts while you were there or things on the flights or anything like that? Or was it just like, Hey, let me get there. Let me do business. Let me come home. Yeah. So somebody had told me, um, before I had joined that marketing team at Stryker that you're not officially part of this team until you're like scrambling to put together a presentation on a plane on your way to that presentation. And I was like, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm a planner, right? Like I, think ahead. I don't mind working late. It didn't really bother me. And then like, Two months, fast forward two months, like here I am, like frantically at six o'clock on a flight to Chicago, like putting put together this presentation and doing those kinds of things. So, um, so yeah, I would use the plane time for either work or, or just straight up rest. And then I did end up starting to travel with gym clothes. So even if I was gone for like three or four days, if you can get nice. one workout in, I found that it really would help the transition with anything if you take three or four days off you feel like you're starting at scratch especially <laughs> dinners or you know going out to eat or eating air, airport food every night so um that was one thing and luckily the luggage companies out there are so advanced with their stuff right like they have laundry bags you can include within there so it doesn't stink up the rest of your, <laughs> your, your suitcase so there's a lots of tips and tricks there that um that came in clutch that's awesome see eventually it forces creativity exactly exactly so do you have any other big advice for young professionals or people early within their careers trying to develop themselves whether it's personally or professionally any other tips or tricks or just overall advice that you have for those types of people that are listening yeah sure number one i'd say is be authentic i think i'm not in a mentor type role right now where i'm mentoring anybody who's younger than me but what I found is every person who's older than me, first of all, they, people love to talk about themselves. So if you're coming from the right place and you love asking questions, people will always, you know, drop what they're doing to share their experiences. So um, number one, just take advantage of, um, of that, of any mentor opportunities or just always, you know, uh, meeting people, uh, throwing, you know, the two line email to throw 30 minutes on the, on the calendar is something that I did a ton mm -hmm. of when I had started working. And a lot of those people that I had made connections with are still people that I keep, I keep close now. And then one other uh, thing that I would say that I do is, and I kind of picked this up along the way from various people at Stryker and now at BD is somebody, one of my first managers told me that you should have your own personal board of directors. So whether that be a friend, you know, inclusive of a friend, maybe a higher up at a company, you know, somebody who maybe you don't know extremely well, but you have a working or professional relationship with, then any, anytime you have a, a major decision, kind of run it, run it through that board of directors. This way you get a couple diverse viewpoints like that oh you well people who don't and then um you know based on the feedback that you get from them you can of course make your own decision and so when i had thought about leaving my job a couple months ago and coming to bd that's basically exactly what i did uh spoke with some people and then based on you know the conversations that i had with them I ended up going with my gut and a lot of them had supported me but that was just one thing that i've picked up along the way that i guess it's kind of happened gradually and now that i have those few people it's been really been really beneficial to me so far 
I love that. I didn't think about it, but I guess I kind of do that if I have a problem I'm trying to work solve. I'll ask a few of my mentors and be like, what do you think? And they're like, I would do it this way. And then from those few conversations, you'll piece together your own type of way to go about it. But I like the idea of a board of directors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Personal board of directors. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much. I think we got a lot of good stuff today and I'm glad you're able to come on similar to what you're saying. If you just reach out and ask someone and people are always willing to mentor and help other people. So that's what I try and make this podcast about. So I'm glad you were able to come on because I think even in college, you were always super um, determined and striving and having that and seeing how well you've done in your career is something that I wanted to share with other people. And hopefully someone got something out of this that motivates them or helps them in their own way. So exactly. yeah, I'm excited. Reach one other person. Yeah. That's right. That's the goal. So, then it's, worth it. then it's, a, it's a victory. So yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Hey guys, if you enjoyed the episode, please like, and subscribe. We're on all the major listening platforms such as Spotify, YouTube, Apple podcasts. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram to see our latest updates and see when we'll be posting new episodes. We have a few great ones coming up and I can't wait for you guys to hear them. Thank you.